the Nazarene was executed. His followers scattered. But he appears again, speaking with customary words, peace be with you. He announces reconciliation with God and through the apostles themselves, a task, peace and reconciliation among all humankind. Quote, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. But on earth, even today, is a rising tide of hatred far from the peace of God and evidencing anything but reconciliation among people. This is the targeting of Chinese American women, men, and children, especially since the emergence of the COVID virus. Since California is home to more Chinese American people than any other state, how could we not call out this heinous, this ignorant evil? As with a long history of anti-Semitism in Europe, so with the history of oppression against Chinese and Chinese-American people in our country. When gold was discovered in the Sacramento Valley in 1848, for instance, a large group of Chinese immigrants joined the gold rush. Violence flared between white miners and the new arrivals. By May 1852, California imposed a foreign miners tax of $3 per month targeting Chinese people. Neither peace nor reconciliation, but exploitation, crime, and violence met them. An 1854 Supreme Court case, People versus Hall, ruled that Chinese people, like African Americans and Native Americans, could not testify in court. Seeking justice, protection, or relief against acts of hatred effectively became impossible. Although Chinese people comprised only 0.002% of the nation's population, Congress passed in 1882 the Chinese Exclusion Act to placate white worker demands and demand white, quote, racial purity. This act 
prohibited Chinese laborers from entering the United States for 10 years and banned the naturalization of Chinese immigrants. Chinese Americans already in the country challenged the constitutionality of the discriminatory acts, but they just didn't have the votes or the influence. Their efforts failed. A decade later, in 1892, the original Chinese Exclusion Act expired and a new one was proposed by California Congressman Thomas J. Geary. This went into effect on May the 5th and reinforced the first act's ban on Chinese immigration for an additional 10 years. It also required Chinese residents in the U.S. to carry special documentation, certificates of residence, so-called, from the Internal Revenue Service. Immigrants without these were sentenced to hard labor and deportation. Bail was only an option if the accused were vouched for by a, quote, credible white witness. I could go on, but you get the point. Then we arrive in this present, and a recent newspaper prints a photo of a young girl holding a sign. It reads, Asians are not the virus, racism is. Can there be any doubt that this oppression, including attacks upon people of Chinese and other Asian descent, are an offense against the gospel and the ethical teachings of Jesus the Christ? I'd like to add a tiny bit from local history. From 1910 to 1940, the Angel Island Immigration Station processed most of the 56,113 Chinese people recorded as immigrating or returning from China. Upwards of 30% more who landed here were returned to China. You may have seen a granite monument at the Angel Island Immigration Center donated to the people of California by restaurateur Trader Vic as translated from a Chinese language, it reads, leaving their homes and villages, they cross the ocean, only to endure confinement 
in these barracks, conquering hostilities and barriers, they pioneered a new life by the Golden Gate. What can people of goodwill do to stand up against bigotry and honor the courage and the unjust suffering of these immigrants? We can start by describing to ourselves and to our families and friends our own privilege and how it was created and is sustained by the accidents, pure randomness of our birth, and likely how we have benefited from the painful sacrifices of others not like us. We might ask ourselves, are we the beneficiaries of a corrupt and exploitative system created by the racially and economically privileged to sustain the racially and economically privileged. We might indeed set aside our neurotic need for innocence and dare to think about this question and its implications for others. What else can we do, practically speaking, to stand up against ignorance and bigotry? I once read in the New Yorker a true account of a cocktail party in Manhattan. One of the guests began to spew anti-Semitism the host approached and said to him, I've never done this before, but I must ask you to leave now. That story was in my mind recently when I began to hear from someone I knew long ago. His race hatred greatly surprised me. I tried to change his view, but failed. His phone calls continued with the bigotry intruding. I finally said to him, we don't do bigotry in our house, and told him we were no longer going to take his calls. That was not much, of course, Horse, but it was something, as opposed to abetting his shameful hatred by silent pseudo-propriety, that is, by doing nothing at all. Peace, let us all understand, is not passivity. It is active, tenacious, and courageous peace-building. It stands up against race hatred and ignorance 
and bullying in order to construct and sustain genuine human community. We each have our active parts to play. As the Father has sent me, so I send you.